right. Hey, Rob, how you how you doing, Rob? Oh, I'm I'm good. I'm on. You know, I'm ready to go with episode ninety five or something. How, we're really getting there now. Oh, we're almost we're almost centurions at this point. That's pretty. That's oh yeah. It's pretty impressive. It's taken us a while, but we're we're working our way there. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think we've been, you know, every two weeks, we've been reasonably consistent, at least the last year or so. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're consistent. There's nothing, you know, the most important thing in podcasting, as some of my podcasting friends like to say, is consistency. So, you know, definitely consistency helps, and we, we're good at that, I think, for the most part. Yeah, well, I'm talking of being inconsistent, unlike what we're usually like, I actually played all the way through a game and just sat down and played it. That is remarkable. What did you play? Uh, so I played The Last of Us. I think we we mentioned on the last episode because they just announced the second one. Right. Um, and I thought, well, I really need to sit down and play this because, as you well know as well, I I like to get the collector's editions if it's a <laughs> game I like. And I thought, well, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna want to know sooner rather than later. So I thought, let's sit down and play it. And I, I mean, it it's really really good. It's it's maybe a little bit slow in the first twenty minutes because uh-huh. that's what I'd played previously, maybe a couple of years ago. Um, but I think maybe I was just in a bad mood the last time I played it because this time I was like, oh, I literally can't put this down. Oh, um, cool. So yeah, I played through the main game, played through the DLC. I then I ordered the art book as well, uh, oh. which is like, and the, and the the prequel comic that came out as well. So I've ordered all of this stuff. That's all coming as well, so I can read through all that. This is like a shopping experience. You play a video game and you end up spending money. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I've got. I don't do it for every game, but I've got like quite a few of the like the art books or um, sometimes like the collector's edition guide, uh-huh. which really tends to not be a guide. It's, it still tends to be more of like an art book where you get maps and sure, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And you know, of course, I can then sit down and watch or listen to podcasts about it and watch videos that about stuff, you know, because. This this game came out in 2013, um, and I've somehow managed to avoid all spoilers for it. Um, when you told me that it was a 2013 game, I really didn't believe it, because I feel like I just watched my kids playing this. I, I've played a little bit myself, but not a lot. I mostly watched them play it way back when, and I guess, I don't know if we got it. We certainly didn't get it when it came out, but but it probably was at least four or five years ago. Yeah, so there's the PS3 version that came out in 2013. Right. And then about a year later was the the remastered PS4 version because again, you know, you, a bit like The Last of Us 2 to be honest, it's it's releasing right at the end of a cycle for a console. Um and I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'd put money down now that The Last of Us 2 if the PS5 isn't like properly backwards compatible or whatever, like it's definitely going to get a remastered or upgraded version for the PS5 because, um, you know, they, well they've announced a couple of days ago that the PS5 is coming holidays next year, right? Um, right. And and I can't see them releasing a game like this, like six to eight months before, and then just doing nothing with it. Like, I, I find it very hard to believe that they're not developing it for the PS5 right now, anyway. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, they do have developer units out there. I mean, I, did you see the pictures of the developer units that were, they're like a kind of a smallish rectangular box with a V cut out of them? Did you see that? Yeah, I did see these. I think they're um, really ugly. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> it's a developer box, though. I suppose it's not necessarily what they're going to be because I've seen like PS4 developer units, which were look nothing like 
what the PS4 ultimately looked like. Yeah, I think it's the uh, maybe the PS3 ones I'm thinking of that were like, um, you know, sort of if you if you're the kind of person who's really into audio and stuff, you can put all the separate parts together for a big stereo system, right? You know, obviously you know, like a big server rack type thing. Um, and I think it was the PS3 ones kind of looked like that, you know, just huge CD drive on the front and all these weird buttons and like cables coming out the back. Um, but I I suspect at this point because they're a lot closer to like a standard PC in terms of the kind of architecture and the hardware that they're putting in it. I guess they can kind of just stick them in any old box now. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. It looked like that that big V notch was for, you know, circulating air or something. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. I, I think it's always interesting when games come out at the end of the life cycle of a console because, you know, on the one hand, they tend to push the existing hardware as far as it possibly can be because there have been years and years of learning involved and figuring out exactly how to push that hardware to its ultimate limit. So in in that sense, it's great for the current generation of hardware compared to what you might get at the very beginning of the PS4. On the other hand, because they are making it for the PS4, it also means that when it comes out, if it comes out on the PS5, that you know you wonder whether it's gonna be, it's as good a game as it could have been if it were designed for the PS5 from the very get go. Now, if they remaster it, maybe they can put in you know more detail and shaders and all that kind of stuff. But but I I do kind of feel like it's a weird position for a game to be in, and we you know we saw a lot, we've seen a ton of that with the Nintendo Switch too because. An awful lot of the um, of the Wii U games that really never went anywhere because the Wii U wasn't very successful have ended up being remastered effectively for the Switch. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting if you look now and you you know maybe you own a PS4 and you're thinking, I wonder what games are coming out in the next year. Basically, nothing. Right. Um, you know, the the Last of Us Two is probably the biggest of of the games that that everyone's waiting for there's cyberpunk 2077 but again it kind of feels like it's going to come out and then be available on the ps5 straight away yep Um, and you know presumably whatever xbox's uh, new console is going to be um you know sony didn't go to e3 this year because they don't really have a lot to show off because everything's kind of hidden i assume they're keeping a lot for the launch titles to try and you know have a really strong selection of games for launch because you know a lot of times they none of the you know microsoft or or um or sony tend to have a very strong launch title selection you know you're going to get your call of duty or something like that um you know you might get a slightly smaller game but if they can get something like horizon zero dawn 2 or you know something that they're kind of hiding away right now for launch then you know it's probably going to be better for them so yeah i mean the next year's looking pretty quiet other than last of us 2 pretty much yeah it's really interesting by speaking of call of duty did you see what the mobile app has done it had a hundred million downloads in the first week which blew away PUBG and fortnite i mean by a an order of magnitude it's really remarkable that now this is like cumulative downloads between android and ios this is not like one platform or the other but it's an incredible download number for that game. And I, I guess, I mean, I don't know. I've talked to one of my kids who plays it and it's supposed to be pretty kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure they're capable of making a, a, you know, a decent mobile game. I mean, those numbers are, 
you know, just absolutely off the charts, as they would say. Um, but they're uh, they're, blo- yeah, they're blow away, Rob. Right, they're blow away totally, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, again, I, for me, that's not the kind of thing I want. But you know, I'm not I'm not a teenager, which I assume right. is you know, this, I would imagine that's a huge part of the market because I'm assuming it has online play and stuff like this. So. You know, I assume people are just playing this wherever because it's going to be on their phones rather than locked down to a console that needs to be attached to a TV. So, um, it's, but yeah, I mean, th- th- those numbers are huge. Yeah, I think it's being played in every high school in America, from what I can tell. I mean, yeah, it's not a game that really interests me either, but it, I do from having kind of, you know, just following mobile gaming for Mac stories to some degree. It It is kind of remarkable to see that kind of number in just seven days. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we, I mean, we sort of briefly mentioned the PS5, which they announced, I think it was yesterday. Um, right. And, and they've had a few of these little sort of press things that have come out in the last sort of six months or so where they, you know, they said, oh, it's pretty, it's going to be backwards compatible. They didn't really say how that's going to work. Like, am I going to be able to use my discs or can I just only do downloads? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's like they, it's like they issue two or three facts at a time. I mean, it's, it's just this little dribble of information. Yeah, so one of the things that came out yesterday, which sounds really interesting, is they're well. Firstly, they're replacing the rumble with with haptic. Yep. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah, with yeah, haptic yeah. like rumbles. So like, I guess this is going to be similar to the HD rumble in the Switch uh, Joy Cons. Um, which you know, I mean, any improvement on the rumble is is a good thing, especially if it's anywhere close to what HD rumbles like. Um, and they also said that the um, the R two and L two triggers they're gonna they're gonna have programmable resistance. Yeah, um, I think one of the examples they gave was like if you're using a bow and arrow in a game, you'll you will be able to feel the resistance that the similar kind of resistance you might in real life, which is really interesting. Obviously, I'm interested to see how that works, and I hope that you know developers are actually going to use it. But yeah, that's kind of an interesting um, sort of tidbit that they added to the this little. Must have been like five hundred word press release or something yesterday. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't much there, but the the trigger thing is what caught my eye too because it's definitely different than some some of the things we've seen in the past, and it's programmable by developers. Not you know, it's not like some of these controllers you can get that you can program yourself and do macros and all that kind of thing. This is like you in game programmable resistance for the triggers and other things so that it feels i think the other example besides a bow and arrow they gave was uh in a car racing game kind of feeling some sort of resistance as you're cornering turns and things like that which it it sounds that combined with haptics yeah i think it sounds really interesting i think it could be a lot of fun and and be a great addition you know compared to just the the rumble which i like but it's also just kind of a blunt instrument in terms of what developers can do with it so uh, anything they can do to kind of make a more immersive experience i think is is nice yeah and, and hopefully they put more than you know 2 minutes of battery in the, uh, <laughs> in, the in the new controllers because the the dual shocks are not good for battery at all. Yes, I've noticed that, especially now that I've been using them more with all of my iOS and Apple TV, all my Apple Arcade gaming that I've been trying to get into now. Uh, my dual shock needs to be plugged in pretty frequently. Yeah, maybe that maybe they'll have a whip round and see if they can, you know, get double the battery size or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear. So um. 
I mean, you've been on Catalina, what, sort of most of the summer? I guess you had it on your Mac Mini for a little bit first, or the other way around? It was the, actually, it was the other way around, because what I do now, um, one of the things that's difficult for me with a new version of Mac OS is that, you know, I, I do a fair amount of stuff on the Mac that is critical to work that I do at Mac Stories, like editing podcasts and stuff like that, and I don't... I can't really have that stuff go sideways. So I do need a good install of Mac OS available somewhere. So what I did with the early betas is I put them on an external SSD, which is just like a Samsung T3 500 gigabyte drive. And it's kind of a good test in a way, at least early on, because you get a pretty good sense of performance from something like that because that's not like a super fast SSD. I mean, it's SSD, so it is kind of fast, but it's not. There are faster, you know, SSDs on the market. Uh, it, it's over USB-C, and and so I put it on that, and so I ran on my MacBook Pro, tethered to this, this you know, this SSD hanging off the side for a while, and that's good, except that it's not the machine that I do my day-to-day work on, and so at some point I always have to kind of move it on over. And so what the the nice thing about having it external from the from the start is that when I do move it to my main computer, then I still have the laptop as a fallback if something goes terribly wrong. So uh, it it also it helps me to have two Macs available too because for instance, if I want to do comparison shots of screenshots and and check features between something like iTunes and the music app, I can do that by just kind of running my laptop here next to my Mac Mini and looking at both at the same time. So it it once, I think it was like early August when I finally moved everything to my main Mac Mini. And, you know, it it was buggy. I would say overall my, my sense of Catalina is that it was for the, the entire beta period, it was more stable than iOS. That's probably not saying much since iOS was kind of rough for a lot of the beta period this summer, but it hasn't been bad. And I, and once I put it on my main machine, which is, you know, a 2018, like I, uh, I seven core, I seven kind of top of the line Mac mini, it felt really snappy and, you know, you get used to that pretty quickly, but definitely didn't see any slowdown. And if anything, felt like it was a little faster and then I just used it day to day whether it was writing or testing apps or whatever I used it all throughout August on my main machine I had my laptop as a backup and I didn't really get into writing in with Ernest until sometime in September because one of the things when Federico's work on his iOS review is that usually means a little bit more for me to do day to day over the summer so it makes it hard to get started with the Mac OS review until sometime in September. And so the lion's share of my 18,000 word review was written in about a week in September. Um, And I was very grateful when we listened to the fall event and found that Mac OS would not be coming until October because that gave me some time to help get the iOS review out the door and then uh, sit down and kind of concentrate on really polishing up the the Mac OS one, which took a, it just takes a lot of time when you have that many words going through and editing it and proofreading it and doing all the screenshots and all the stuff that goes along with that. But yeah, it's, it came out on Monday and I'm really glad that it's finished at this point. Yeah, that was definitely, you know, I, I said to you before we started recording, but you know, I 
got my iPad out, realized it needed charging. Of course. Charged it. <laughs> you know, and then I sat down and, and, you know, read through it all because, you know, it's, it's the best way, you know, obviously I want to read what's new and what you've written and stuff like that, but it, I think, like, the between, like, WWDC and when this stuff comes out, whether it's iOS or, you know, macOS or whatever it is, even tvOS to some extent, it, by the time it gets to coming out, I'm like, I don't even remember what's in these things. <laughs> right. You know, I, I don't, I'm sat here going, oh, I can't wait, you know, I want to upgrade to Catalina. I mean, the biggest thing for me was reminders, because I upgraded so I could have the new stuff, right. but I couldn't access on my Mac. So, you know, that's kind of important, um, you know, at least for the way I, I live, you know, I live because I'm on my computer most of the day. So, right having to keep pick up my iphone all the time is not ideal um but yeah i mean it's but it you know it's kind of interesting to see the the changes that they are making you know like um one of the things that i probably wouldn't have noticed unless you'd mentioned it in your review was the um uh in preferences where it shows you you know like it does in settings on, on the on ios where it's got your you know your icloud stuff and you kind of click there and you can manage all your iCloud stuff there instead of going into whatever it used to be, like internet and accounts or something like right, that. Right, right. Um, um, now, funnily enough, talking about that, I now have a perpetual notification on my preferences because it says, oh, you need to log in again or you're going <laughs> to have limited access yeah. to undetermined you know, iCloud things. I've done this like four times today it eventually, and it just comes back. It eventually, so, go, it eventually will go away. <laughs> Maybe with the, with a reboot or something. Yeah, that that is a problem that a lot of people have experienced, and it you know it has some rough spots. But I mean, it's interesting. I think kind of big picture, what Catalina is all about is about more than anything aligning the Mac more closely with what's going on in iOS, and and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that in this you know for somebody who's used a Mac for a very long time, this to me. You know, I think to a lot of people feels kind of weird because I think if you've used a Mac for any length of time, you probably still view the iOS people as the newcomers to the platform. But the reality is, is there are far more people using iOS and iPadOS today than there are Mac users. And if the Mac is going to be kind of a relevant and viable platform going forward, it kind of needs to be usable for those people in a, a little more so than it is today. And so a lot of this stuff is aligning how things work on the Mac with how they work on iOS. And some things are being borrowed from iOS. Some things have gone from the Mac to iOS too. But, you know, I think that one you mentioned is a good example where why is it that system preferences and settings on iOS are different. Why shouldn't those things at least, I mean, obviously they're going to have elements of them that are different because they're very different systems, but why shouldn't they at least look a little bit similar? And why shouldn't you have right at the top, you know, your iCloud icon with all your iCloud settings, just like you do on iOS. And, you know, most of those differences are kind of historical mistakes more than anything else, because while iOS was based on, um, you know, OS 10, it, uh, it diverged over a period of a decade quite a bit. There wasn't a lot of, they didn't really, you know, Apple didn't really keep up the two platforms particularly well over that period of time. And now it seems like what they're trying to do is kind of a lot, realign those individual apps, things like reminders and notes and find my and all those different things, music, uh, as well as some of the system stuff so that it's a, a more seamless experience when you move from 
a computer to an iOS device. And, you know, I think that's a good thing. You know, there are definitely elements of using a Mac that need to stay Mac-like in the sense that they're different hardware configurations and they work differently. And those differences should be respected. But I also think there's an extraordinary amount of overlap, especially with things like iPads that can be hooked up to keyboards and external storage and all that sort of thing that, that you know, uh, makes sense to kind of uh, you know, deal with the overlap in a way that makes it inviting and familiar for people who are coming from a different angle, which is the iOS angle. So I, I think it's a good thing. I mean, if you want to talk about Catalyst, we can talk about that a little bit. I mean, that, I think that that's uh, a very promising technology that's not very well implemented at the moment. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, so to, to, to what you just said there, and, and, you know, then we'll sort of mention Catalyst because it sort of all goes together really. Like, yeah. I, I'm imagining, like, you know, somebody... You know, you've bought somebody an iPad. Or, you know, somebody's got themselves an iPad, and that's what they use. And then they go, oh, you know, maybe I need a Mac. They they want a Mac for whatever reason, and you know, they go pick up something, maybe a MacBook Air or, you know, Mac Mini or something like that. And they go, oh, okay, I I already use podcasts on on my iPad, or I already use music or the TV app. Now, if they'd come to the Mac in Mojave, or you know, before that, especially with podcasts, and you know, they might say to somebody like me or you, they go. Oh, I've just bought a Mac, like, where's podcast? You can go, oh, right, yeah. So if you open up iTunes and then click the podcast thing from the drop-down, and it's kind of in there, um, like, the, those two things, like, they don't really feel like they're... They barely even feel like they're related, rather than the fact that they're both called podcasts. Whereas, at least now, you know, the almost all of the built-in apps on iOS and on the Mac, they kind of have equivalents you know, where it makes sense. Right. Um, and it makes it a lot easier for somebody to just switch from, from one to the other, you know, whether it's going to the, from the Mac to iOS or, or vice versa. Um, yeah, I, I felt for a long time, like, if you drop somebody in front of iTunes who doesn't have the, you know, the decade-plus history of iTunes, they'd be like, what is this? Why is Why is all this <laughs> stuff jammed in here? And why do I have this thing called apple music but there's a store over here where i can buy a song for a dollar 29 i mean yeah i I, there's a lot of that kind of thing going on and i i mean i i try to be very diplomatic about all this because i mean believe me i've heard from quite a few people who are very concerned about the the longevity of the mac and and view this as the the great dumbing down of of uh, Mac OS, which I, I disagree pretty strongly with. But, you know, I also recognize that, for instance, when you look at iTunes, one of the things that, first of all, almost nothing got taken out of iTunes. It, to me, is a <laughs> remarkable achievement in tucking features away here and there. I mean, I have told a few people this, that, and I will say it here, is that if I were in charge of music, of building the music app, I would have gutted so much of iTunes. You wouldn't be able to rip your CDs anymore, Rob, if I were in charge. But, you know, the, the, rea- <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the reality is, the reality is, is that, um, well, first of all, I'm not in charge, which is probably a good thing, because I don't have an iPod that I'm still syncing to my iTunes library. And but 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 the truth is that there are a lot of people still doing that, and so breaking up iTunes is a very tricky, uh, tricky thing that has to be done very carefully to not 
leave people who are relying on those older features of iTunes behind. You know, they they need there needs to be a path for them to continue to do what they are doing because that's the way they like to do it, or to bring that bring it forward. Now, what what iTunes does, well, what music does, is that it very much is Apple Music centric. So if you stream your music, you're probably going to be pleased. I mean, I know I like music a lot. I've probably spent more time in that that app than any other one during the beta period, and I think it's fantastic. But I have heard from a lot of people who have tens of thousands of songs that they pulled from, they either bought or they pulled from CDs or whatever, and they don't like that the column browser is gone. And you know, between you and me and all the people listening, I didn't know the column browser still existed when I started this process because I haven't used it in years. But it's been there since 1.0, I think, of iTunes. And it's the weird view that you can get that drops down from the top of the window and gives you the ability to filter by a whole bunch of different categories. And it's very much like, I view iTunes, and this is a thread that runs through so much of Catalina. iTunes is like the spreadsheet of music listening. It's it, <laughs> it, 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 it's very Finder-esque. There's a whole thread that runs through some of these older apps, including Photos, where it's like, Media is about file management, and I think what's changing is that it's not going to be like file management going forward. You're going to stream your music, or you're going to have um, machine learning show you which photos are the good photos, right? Now, you can still drop back. Like, music has a song view. You can see the actual files and go to them in the finder and do all that kind of stuff, too. But the primary view into the media, whether it's photos or music or whatever, and and this goes for the TV app, too, is going to be... You know, thumbnails of what the system thinks you're going to want to watch next. Now, it's totally on Apple that they do a good job in surfacing that stuff. I think they do a fantastic job with photos. The new photos is uh, finally, I mean, they've redone photos like three or four times in the last five years. And, yeah. And, and, and I think it's finally there where it's like, you know, I had an example in the review where it's like, all right, I went into Chicago and I took all these pictures and I came home and I looked at that day in the old photos and the new photos. And in the old photos, it was all the thumbnails of the pictures I took, all roughly the same size and in their original aspect ratios. And, you know, kind of in the middle of there, there were a couple of screenshots that I took while I was out. And But then you go to Catalina and you look at it and there's this, you know, big autoplay video of the train going over the river that looks really nice and the couple of other photos that are kind of perfectly framed and look make my photos from that day look really nice and the screenshots are all hidden away and i like that i mean you're you give up a certain level of control uh in order to get that and i think that that's where people who have spent a decade plus managing music libraries, for instance, have a real hard time letting go of that. It's a little bit of a, a sunk cost where it's like, uh, well, I've been, I've, been, I've been editing my metadata for 10 years. What do you, what do you mean someone else is going gonna, is gonna to be in charge of that now? I, and, I, and I get that. I mean, I, I'm definitely sympathetic to it. So I, I just think that that is not where Apple's going in the future and that if that's important to you, probably the thing to do is to look for a different app because I don't think that music is ever going to be the app that lets you manage music as though it were, you know, uh, files in a spreadsheet. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm one of those people. I had 
you know, I think I switched to Spotify maybe about three years ago now. Um, or at least, you know, at least I tried out Apple Music and it it broke a bunch of my files. So I, you know, I tried Spotify. Um, yeah, that was a bad. That was a very before, dark. That was a very dark time, and I think a lot of people still remember that very vividly. Oh yeah, I mean, I was furious about it at the time. You know, I oh I've I've lost this album. I ripped off a CD. Like, who, but now I don't care. You know, I I've still got my music library. It's sat on my hard drive and it's in iTunes, and I assume it's still in the new music app, probably. Um. I never use it because why would I bother? You know, I, I can open up Spotify or Apple Music if I was subscribed. I can basically stream anything I, I want, really. Like, I know there's people with like bootleg stuff that maybe they've got from, you know, cassettes or CDs or various sort of dark corners of the internet. But for me, like, most of my library is just sort of standard stuff that all of the music streaming services have anyway yeah um, you know and it's it's way easier to just let all that go yeah um, you know i think at some point i'm just gonna probably stick it on a hard drive maybe stick it on two and just take it off my laptop because i really don't need it yeah i i think that if your tastes run anything towards the mainstream that you're it, it's a lot easier to deal with you know streaming i think there's still issues with classical music i don't think is handled particularly well by apple um, and then, as you said, if you have anything that's kind of one-off bootleg or whatever like that, that's an issue. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I think it's it's pretty easy. You know, somebody asked me, it's funny, they, they gave me a very indignant, well, how many songs do you own? And I looked and I was like, I was like oh, I can figure that out. I know it was, like, it was like tens of thousands. I don't remember exactly. I'll go look. And I went and looked. And I was like, I can't figure it out anymore. I don't remember the last time I looked at the hard drive that has my music on it because it all got uploaded to the iCloud music library. And I don't, a couple of things. One, I guess I don't look at the library section of music hardly ever, um, except there are for occasionally just to see kind of the things that I've added recently that I might want to re- re-listen to. And because they've been uploaded to the cloud, the distinction between what I uploaded and what I'm stre- and and then stream back versus what I stream directly from Apple servers is kind of irrelevant to me at this point. I don't I don't really know which is which, and I don't know that I really care or why I should care at this point. And uh, you know, I you know maybe I'm just one of the the sheeple people, but uh, <laughs> I, I've been pretty happy with it. And and it is going to be they're going to be rough edges because it is very much the first step in a long term process of I think making the Mac fit in better along what I like to think of as kind of a continuum of computing from the Apple Watch all the way up to the Mac. And, uh, you know, it, it's gonna it's finding its place in that lineup in a way where in the past it was maybe a little off to the side, whereas all these other pieces of the puzzle were a little bit more related to each other. And I think that Catalyst is a prime example of that. I mean, I you know, people get very upset thinking about all the terrible toy iPad apps that are going to come to the Mac. But the reality is, is that to have an iPad app on the Mac, you have to have kind of a first class iPad app that deals with windowing and all of the other very current features of iPad OS. So it's really a two way street. I mean, Apple Catalyst, I think, is designed not only to help bring new software to the Mac, but also use the enticement of having your apps on the Mac push the iPad apps forward as well. Now, 
I mean, we talked about this. I mean, Catalyst has not had great uh, had not had great success over the summer because it was poorly documented by Apple. They have not really, I don't think, put their best foot forward in giving developers examples of what a great Catalyst app is because those original four apps from 2018 are still the same as they were in 2018, which is remarkable to me. You know, news and voice memos and stocks mm. and all those things. Now, podcasts, that's a Catalyst app. Find My, another Catalyst app. Those are much better. That's a step in the right direction. But, you know, all this stuff dropped all at once, along with a ton of things in iOS and iPadOS 13, that just has, has made developers' lives difficult over the summer. There were lots of bugs. There was lots to do. And a lot of them just put Catalyst on the back burner, and I totally don't blame them for that. I just hope that the difficulties that have been experienced by a lot of people with Catalyst don't end up uh, reducing the potential and maybe excitement for what it could be because I do feel like there are definitely categories of apps that are underrepresented on the Mac. And while I don't think the Mac is in under any threat of going away anytime soon, if you spend any time studying the software world in both iOS and the Mac, you know that there's not nearly as much going on. It's kind of a little sleepy town over there in Mac in the Mac App Store <laughs> compared to the, the regular App Store. And people it's funny, people ask me, why don't we write about Mac apps more? And well, it's because there aren't as many and there aren't as many new ones. Or as much innovation. Oh, yeah. you know, there's not as much innovation going on. There's they're great Mac apps. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of Mac apps that are Mac only that I really like. But you know, the 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 magnitude of that world is tiny compared to iOS. And I think the Mac would benefit from having more iOS developers developing for it. But where things stand today with with Catalyst, it's a little rough. I mean, you have to not only check the box to make your app run on Mac OS, but you have to do a fair amount of work to really make it work well on macOS. And like today, I, I did a review of uh, Lear, which is an RSS client, which I was very happy to see come out on the Mac as a Catalyst app. And they did a really good job. They went, you know, even little things like tool tips when you hover over a button, <laughs> that's not, that's just not, that's not automatic when you, when you make a Catalyst app. You have to go into AppKit to make that happen. So, they did a lot of little things that make it fit better on the Mac than it might otherwise have. And it's it's not perfect, but it's it's a step in the right direction. I think if Apple really pushes Catalyst forward, hopefully rapidly, because it needs it, uh, there will there will be more people able to do it. I think right now you still have to be kind of a I think you have to be a really good developer to deal with it right now because there's almost no documentation very little sample code and so you have to kind of figure it out for yourself which is just not the way to kind of invite in a whole new group of people who have never dealt with your platform i mean apples needs to get that that part of it figured out yeah definitely i mean hopefully you know like you said the next sort of few months we you know we might see some some more stuff that's maybe people have spent more time on and updates and stuff like that and you know hopefully in the next sort of nine to 12 months in between now and wwdc we'll see a whole bunch more improvements i mean for me for the most part i'm you know i'm pretty excited about it if if nothing else for the fact that 
you know, even if these apps maybe aren't as good, you know, the, the, these ported, you know, iPad apps that, are, you know, that are now running through Catalyst, do you know what? If it means, like, there's more apps on the Mac, then great. Because, because as you say, you know, people say to you, oh, why don't you write about the Mac on Mac Stories? And it's like, because, you know, there's nothing happening. It's just not that interesting, right? Or at least it hasn't been for the last sort of few years now. Um, you know, I can't remember the last time I downloaded something from the App Store or is even really remotely excited about a new app that was coming. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's going to be good. Yeah, I think it has a lot of potential. Um, you know, I my when you go through the review, I mean, you can see, I, I mean, basically I'm disappointed, I think, in the fact that it hasn't taken off like I had hoped it would and that a lot of that lies at the feet of Apple. I, I would say the vast majority of it does. Uh, but there's still, I think, time to turn it around. And there are, you know, despite what I think you see a lot of people complaining that there's nothing but, you know, junky and, and non-serious apps being made with Catalyst. There are good ones. PDF viewers out there, good notes, carrot weather, Lear. You know, there are definitely quality solid Mac apps that are being built, uh, using, using Catalyst. It's going to take a while for more people to get over there and, and give it a try themselves and you know the, I I would look I would look to all those apps as an example of what what can be done and hopefully we'll see more of it in the future. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're probably right. Well, um, we should probably st- I feel like we could probably go on for another <laughs> well, another hour or so. Could. But <laughs> but um, but yeah, but maybe we should you know we'll stop for this week. Sounds good. And, Sounds and, good. You know, we'll come back in a couple of weeks, see where we stand, see if anything's happened. You know, maybe we'll see some more updates or some new apps, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I guess um, yeah, well, I guess uh, we're we're all done, really. All right, I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, Rob.